Well, let's pray and let's begin. Father God, you're a gracious God, and we thank you. <coughs> we lift up this pericope and pray you'd help us not only to understand it, but what does it mean to us in the 21st century? This is history. And what does it show us about you and your glory? So we commit this time to you and thank you for your grace and the opportunity to share in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you all for an opportunity to once again tell you what I think. I've been told I'm very opinionated, but that's a lie. I'm not. When uh, Pastor Steve gave me... Thank you. Can you hear me now? <laughs> when Pastor Steve gave me the, the uh, verse or the chapter, to be honest, I kind of went, what? We're in Christmas. Why would you talk about the crucifixion? And so I called him. And I was hoping, beyond hope, that he would say, I'll oh, just do whatever you want. He didn't. So you're stuck with this. So, and I thank you because it opened my eyes to something I was not aware of. I'm a Greek scholar, not a Hebrew. Matter of fact, Dave Granado probably speaks better Hebrew than I do. Um, and so when I started retranslating uh, Isaiah 53, it, it was an enigma. And I spent two weeks just trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Isaiah basically was given a prophecy. And right in the middle, we have this Isaiah 53 that talks about pain and suffering and sin. And Isaiah, for years, was slandered and maligned because he gave prophecies and people laughed at him. So I went back and I started looking at this, this man, the man who we call Isaiah, and how did he work? And it dawned on me that Isaiah was never given a prophecy c complete. I mean, he wasn't given a dream and said, you will go here and here and here, and at the end of the third here, you will have arrived here. So he wasn't given that. In the first part of his ministry, he was given a prophecy, uh, Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now that's exciting. That's, that was the chapter I was hoping he'd give me. And so when he didn't, and I thought, okay, what are we looking at? Because the second major prophecy is this one, Isaiah 53. And since I've always thought that God works in threes, I went looking for the third, and I found it. It's Isaiah 61. And when you look at this triad, we're, we have a teeter-totter. On the teeter side, we have Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a son is given, a child is born. In the middle, or on the totter side, we have Isaiah 61, which talks about... Hang on. Do you have it up there? Okay, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty of the captives, 
and freedom to prisoners. And if you remember when the Lord was given a scroll in Galilee, he read this and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we have the teeter, the birth, we have the totter, the idea that he's going to provide the Holy Spirit and provide for us past the resurrection. But right in the middle, we have a fulcrum. And as I read all of the texts and looked at what was going on, we have Isaiah 53, 5, which is the pivot point of Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-building fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And it turns out in my mind that the word healed is the most important word here. By his stripes we are healed. The idea is that in each of the five people groups, people group one being from uh, Adam until Noah, people group two from Noah to the resurrection, people group three from the resurrection to the rapture, people group four from the rapture to Armageddon, and people group five from Armageddon to the great white throne judgment. That each of these people groups had to have this apply to them. And that each people group had to be able to say, by his stripes I am healed. Well, the guys in the first people group from Adam to Noah never heard of the Messiah, never heard of uh, who this Jesus was going to be. In addition, it has to apply from everybody from every age group, from the smallest to the oldest, from those who don't get out of the womb to those who live as old as I am. And so the message of the... Uh, Healing has to apply to everyone. It cannot be to just the people in our people group who actually are part of the resurrection, who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so when I started looking at this, it turns out that the word healing is the pivotal word. And so I went to the New Testament because that's easier for me. I'm very comfortable with the New Testament. It's in Greek, by the way. Did you know that? And so I translated and started looking around, and we got to, oh, be quiet. That's Joey. He's convincing. I love you, too, by the way. Um, I've translated uh, 1 Peter 2.24, and that also says, by his stripes we are healed. And that's a very, in, in my mind, that's very clear, it's crisp, it's precise. It means exactly what it says. By his suffering, we are healed. But then I ran into the same problem. How can that phenomena, that statement of Peter, equal to those who don't get out of the womb, to those who are not in our people group? to the very young, to people who never accepted the Lord and will not accept the Lord. How can this apply to them? Because the, the we in this case in the uh, first Peter is a universal we. It's not just you, it's all of you. Whoops, it's all y'all. 
And so when I went back to translate Isaiah 53.5, I found an anomaly. I have some pretty old manuscripts that go back to the second century BC. Uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, things like that. I, I don't have the originals or I'd be very wealthy. But I have copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. So I've got copies. And I looked at that and the sense and the tense of the word from the second century that I could look at was exactly the same as the sense and the tense of the word in the 21st century. The problem was everyone was getting their translation from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew text for the people in Alexandria, Egypt. And I, I looked at that because that's what I was going over. So I pulled out some of my old manuscripts and said, well, wait a minute. The text says this, but it's translated that. And so I started thinking, okay, if the text is saying one thing, but the translation is saying another, why did the people who made the translation change the sense and the tense of the word? And I looked at it and it, it works. It absolutely works. For he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-building fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. It's about us. We are healed by his stripes, and that works. That's what Yeshua, Jesus said in the New Testament, that's what Peter said, that's what Paul said, and it works. But that's not what it says. Now I'm going to give you an English lesson, so pay attention now. In the English, we have the third person, first person would be I, second person would be you, third person would be he, she, or it. Okay. In this text, we have a translation, which basically is a niffle, and it is a third person singular word. The translator is translated as a first person plural, which is a we. And so when you read this, we are uh, healed by his stripes. The text doesn't say that. The text says this. Sorry, I wanted to get this right because we, he is healed unto us. It took me a long time to figure out the, the second word part of that. Unto us was also problematic. But it ties into what's being said. He says very clearly, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. So the text should read this way. By his scourging, he was healed to us. Now that brings a whole lot of things into play because, wait a minute, he's God. The Messiah is God. Why does he need to be healed? Because he was hurt? And then as I, I looked at this, this has to be a spiritual connotation. It can't be physical because a, a child who does not get out of the mother's womb doesn't need healing. Child is where he's supposed to be. 
And so when, you, when I started processing this and thinking about it, it dawned on me that for years I have looked for a text in the Old Testament that would tie into the New Testament that declared that the purpose of our existence was to glorify and honor Him. But there was nothing that we could do to get there. There was nothing that we could say or be. The only way that we can approach God is as we are. There's absolutely nothing that we have that He wants. Which is a sad commentary because I've got some good stuff. But He doesn't want it. He wants us. He wants you. And so when I started translating this, everything started to fall into place. Yes, it is true. The, the uh, crucifixion was required. A payment had to be made. But Isaiah 9 says that he as God, God as a spirit, and those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. He joined a body just like you did. You were a soul somewhere. And you joined this body at conception, and you grew into who you are now. Jesus did the very same thing as a spirit. And he joined the body. Of course, I'm going to say he cheated. He, he got to make what he wanted. But you saw the text. There was nothing that would draw us to him. As a matter of fact, Flavius Josephus in the, the war says that he had red hair. He was pretty short. Even for a Jew, he was short. And there was nothing about him that would say, there's a charismatic guy. I want to follow him. He was just there. And so when I looked at this and, and processed this, it dawned on me, this is the first place where God tells us how valuable we are. Did you understand that? How valuable... You could not do what he could to get you where he wants you. And so this text is saying, by his stripes, you are healed to him. The actual word is also translated, um, you are repaired or pardoned or restored to him. And so this text tells us there will be pain, there will be suffering because you cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What you have doesn't get it. But what he did does. And so he restored you to himself. Now, like Steve said, this was 600 years before the name of Jesus was even heard of. And so for 600 years, nobody understood this. And so they had to change things around to say that, well, you're, you're healed by his stripes. When the Lord was trying to tell us, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a way so that you can come to me. But like anything, God does not violate the will of the individual in regards to choices. He can't. He can't. He's God. He can do anything he wants. But he's determined that he's not going to do that so that when you make a choice for him, it's your choice. And so in this text, which I thank you, Steve, for forcing me, painfully so, to go back into the Hebrew, tells us that we were restored to him 
by his stripes. That was the purpose of the stripes. Restoration. You've been redeemed. You've been uh, restored. Both of those words require that you be something, you're not something, and you are something again. When you redeem something, you owned it, you pawned it, and then you go buy it back. When you restore something, something was pristine, then it's no longer pristine, and then it's restored. And that's what God has for us this Christmas season, for us to recognize that these days, these end of days, that you've been restored. It's there for you. You don't have to run around and try to get to it. You have but to accept it. There's nothing that you can change in and of yourself. I have a friend who's, he's an alcoholic. He's a gracious man, just a loving man. And he was kicking himself and beating himself up because every time he crosses the street by a bar, he goes in and has one shot of tequila. Only one. But he goes home to his wife and he beats himself up and he's kicking himself. And I, his wife called me and said, this guy is hard to live with. You've got to do something with him. I said, well, get a bigger stick and see what happens. So I went over and I talked to him and I said, what's the problem? He said, I have to have a drink. I cannot survive without it. And I come home and I know that I've fallen off the wagon again when I promised myself that I would never do it. And I said, I'll tell you what. I'm a pastor. I'm a rabbi. I'm going to give you a, a rule. Okay. Every time you go by that bar, you pray and ask God to bless you. Then you go in and you have a, a shot of vodka or whatever you're drinking, tequila, do it. He's not going to change. I used to fly with a guy who I would not get into the airplane, a DC-3, unless he had a beer. Because he would bounce that sucker all over the runway to get it off the ground. And that's terrifying when you have a whole load of parachuters in the back. But you give him a beer, phew, he was the calmest, greatest pilot I've ever flown with. Of course, he was 100 years old, but who's counting? God cannot make you or force you to do something that you're choosing not to do. All he's telling you now is, I'm here. I have healed the rift. I have made it okay. Just come to me. Recognize that I want you. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your baggage. I want you. And so when I finished translating this, it was incredible that 600 years before the resurrection, Jesus declared, I'm going to restore you to me. And I'm going to do it in such a way that you're not going to recognize it. And over the years, people have not recognized it because it's been mistranslated. We are healed by his stripes. That's a true statement. But in Isaiah 53.5, the declaration is, I will restore you to me. I will do it. Keep your hands off. There's nothing you can do to add to it. So as we live in this 21st century, recognizing that there's some things that I've done in my life that no one will ever know. Only God. 
but I can't change those. So when I go to him, it's just as I am. Nothing to change. But it's my choice. It's the choice that I make that he's looking for. Will, you, will I fall again? Yeah. Planning on it, actually. What will I do before the Lord? First John 1 John 1.9, I'll confess my sin and say, I blew it again. Can you help me with this? Because I've been restored to him in all his glory. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this text. We recognize the word healing as restoration, being pardoned, being healed, being repaired. I pray that each and every one of us here would recognize that, while not perfect, in the spiritual realm, we've been restored, we've been repaired, we've been healed, we've been pardoned. And that we would accept that, even though it looks pretty bad from where, wherever we're sitting, when we look at our lives, you don't look at us that way. And I'm thankful for that. I pray that this congregation will continue to bless those in the community, that you'd protect those who go out, that you'd watch over those who have not yet made a decision to follow you, but that one day they would. And Father, that they would recognize <laughs> your love 600 years before was a declaration of your care for them. So we thank you, we praise you, and we ask that you be part of what we're doing. And that we would recognize that Isaiah 9, 53, and 61 is a teeter-totter, and the fulcrum of that teeter and totter is the fact that we were restored. So we thank you and commit this congregation to you, and pray you would allow us to be a blessing to others. In your son's precious name, amen.